episode of Capital Hunters Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Let me adjust my microphone here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really, really appreciate your love, your support, and all of that good stuff. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes. Thank you so much for getting the word out in advance, and uh, keep on doing what you're doing, rating, subscribing, and sharing. Thank you once again. Uh, for listening. Uh, We want to bridge that divide, get the community to see the police's point of view and get the police to remember (laughs) that they are part of the community and they should be acting accordingly. Right? Right. So in today's episode, we got a good one for you today. We're going to talk about mass shootings Um, and the problem with mass shootings. I have a serious problem with the lack of effort that is being placed behind uh, uh, um, curbing these mass shootings. Um, And I know that there's a lot of different uh, controversial uh, research uh, that is out there. Some saying that uh, mass shootings um, in there, um, uh, it, it's not as prevalent as as people are talking about. You know, the, the mass shootings per hundred thousands of people and all that is not as big as of a problem. Well, there are a, there is a problem with mass killings. Um, there's there are knife attacks in addition to uh, just mass shootings, right? And so one of the biggest problems that we have with mass shootings is the definitions of mass shootings and the fact that we can't by we, I mean they, <laughs> government officials, academics, researchers can't come up with a co- comprehensive, cohesive, uh, consistent definition. Depending on what academic or, or government agency you talk to, uh, you will come up with different definitions. Let me give you an example. This is from uh, upenn.edu, University of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Arts and uh, Sciences. And the name of the article is, uh, What is a Mass Shootings? What Can Be Done? I believe the guy's name who wrote this is uh, Richard Burke, B-E-R-K. Uh, in the United States, there are several different, but there are several different but common definitions of mass shootings. The Congressional Research Service defines mass shootings as multiple firearm homicide events, including four more victims at one or more locations close to one another. The FBI definition is essentially the same. Often there is a distinction made between private and public mass shootings, like a school, place of worship, a business establishment, etc. Uh, mass shootings undertaken by foreign terrorists are not included, no matter how many people die or where the shooting occurs. Uh, these formulations are are certainly workable, but the threshold of four more deaths is arbitrary. I, and I'm gonna pause right there and no longer reading. I myself have a problem with the fact that it's uh, four more deaths. Suppose I'm sitting in a restaurant and with my family, and I mentioned this before in another podcast, I'm sitting in a restaurant, you're sitting in a restaurant with your family, uh, someone comes in there, starts blazing away uh, with an AK-47 or AR-15 or some other similar type of assault rifle or just a handgun or even, a, well, let's just make a consistent knife attack. Um, let's just say that, that this is going on and uh, no one dies, right? A couple people are wounded, but no one dies. Uh, is that not classified as a mass shooting? I, I think that, that uh, the the arbitrary number of four deaths, four or more deaths, I think is 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 not right. I think that someone goes into a place, and uh, you're at a movie theater, and somebody starts blazing away, and only one person dies. Well, that's not a mass shooting. That's a ridiculous um, definition. But I digress. Let's get back to it. To this, there are also more important exclusions. For example, if ten people are shot but only two dies, the incident is not a mass shooting. I didn't even read this, but he's agreeing with me, and I'm agreeing with him. Homicides by other means are also not counted. If five people are purposely run down and killed in an individual driving motor vehicle, uh, the deaths do not count because a firearm is not involved. These are also inclusions. 
uh, that can be that can seem curious because the motive motives of perpetrators are not considered when when defining a mass shooting. So again, again, they're not including knife attacks. Somebody's uh, uh, shoot, mowing down um, uh, bar patrons uh, with their motor vehicle. That's not going to count. We have to get this definition under control. Uh, here's another article um, from uh, Time Magazine. Past two weeks, uh, and this was written on March 30th, Josh Josiah Bates, Time Magazine Online. March 22nd, a gunman killed 10 uh, people at Boulder, Colorado grocery store, including a police officer. A uh, 20-year-old man has been charged with 10 counts of murder after surrendering to police. Six days earlier, March 16th, a mass shooting occurred at three spas and, and massage parlors in the Atlanta metropolitan area. 20-year-old man has since been charged with eight counts of murders, uh, having been arrested after a police chase. Of the eight people killed, six have been identified as Asian and Asian-American women. We've probably all heard about that. He's blaming it on his sex uh, problems. Here's an, another article from Mass uh, from Time Magazine, uh, written <clears throat> March 24th. Mass shootings. This is what normal. This is what normal has come to be like in America. Uh, talked about the Atlanta uh, shootings, Boulder, Colorado shootings, uh, lowering the the the, the, the uh, flag. And this article goes on to talk about how we're addressing the pandemic as a problem, but no, doing nothing about these mass shootings, mass killings, and everything like that. So I, I I'm in agreement that something must be done. We have to take a look at this problem. Uh, here's the rand.org uh, mass shootings in America. There is no standard uh, definition of what constitutes a mass shooting in different data sources, such as media outlets, academic researchers, and law enforcement agencies frequently use different definitions when discussing and analyzing mass shootings. For instance, when various organizations measure and report mass shootings, the criteria they use in counting such events might differ, differ by the minimum threshold of the number of victims. Whether the victim count includes those who are fatally injured, whether the shooting, where the shooting occurred, whether the shooting occurred in connection to another crime, and the relationship between the shooter and the victim. These inconsistencies lead to different assessments of how frequently mass shootings occur and whether they can they are more common now than they were a decade or two ago. This is by Rosanna Smart, Terry L. Shell of uh, April 15, 2021. I may actually reach out to these in a couple of these individuals, try to get them on the podcast and see what their uh, ideas are and what we can do to to stem the tide. In the meantime, I'm not going to continue reading on with that. I'm going to go on to what we've got going on for today. And that is uh, my special guest, Black Man with the Gun. He and I are going to discuss this uh, um, uh, amongst the many other things that have been going on around the country, getting his opinion uh, about uh, you know gun rights, gun activism, safe gun handling, and all that kind of thing. Uh, I am I was a former law enforcement officer. I obviously I have some familiarity with guns. Uh, I do you know, and I I believe in in protecting ourselves and, and making sure that we have the same freedoms uh, that are that are guaranteed to us by the United States Constitution. I have no issues or problems with that. Um, however, uh, we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, Ken Blanchard and myself, black man with the gun. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get right into the episode. I'm going to thank my special guest, Ken Blanchard, for coming back on to podcast. If you have not listened to the previous episode with Ken Blanchard and myself, please make sure that you go back, listen to that episode, catch up, 
and uh, answer the question why didn't you listen to this before so th thanks again make sure that you rate subscribe and share uh, hit me up cptlhunter at gmail.com cptlhunter at gmail.com uh you know if you want to if you have any show ideas or anything like that make sure you're following me on twitter instagram captain hunters podcast uh on facebook captain hunters podcast on youtube um and twitter and instagram are cpt l hunter without uh without further ado ladies and gentlemen here is the interview and blanchard black man with the gun I really appreciate it, man. I want to thank my special guest once again for coming back on the podcast, the good Reverend Ken Blanchard, uh, the black man with a gun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really, really appreciate it. Man, thank you for letting me be back on the show. This is good stuff right here. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm hoping and assuming that everyone has watched our watched or listened to our previous episode, but if you haven't, just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a former law enforcement officer, former analyst for the CIA, former, I've been a former a whole bunch of stuff. Um, currently a pastor, and formerly um, a rough and tumble dude, but now my care mostly is in taking care of people. Um, that's kind of been my whole thing my whole life. I just didn't know it. Um, now I'm just more concerned with their spiritual. And uh, I'm a podcasting fool. I mean, I got like three <laughs> shows going on. And uh, I help other people get their stuff together. I'm a writer. I'm a painter. I'm a hippie that can shoot real well. Um, that's that's my thing. Um, my show is called Black Man with a Gun. It's been around since 2007. Before that, um, I published a book called Black Man with a Gun, which came out in 1999. It was an homage to uh, Richard, I mean, um, to Mr. Williams, who wrote The Negroes with Guns in 1967. And um, I wanted to kind of update that thing. And I jumped into the space for gun rights and gun control after I got the bug in 1991 to be a gun instructor. And uh, it, was a, it was a nice role. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that the gun control argument was evergreen, never goes away. It's been going on forever, ever since the invention of gunpowder. And I did it from the stance of a person of color, a black man with a gun. And I learned all about the history of our people I learned about the struggles of politics. I learned about the evils that men do, and uh, it, it changed my life. Um, I became involved in this thing on an on a international level and wasn't ready for it. I just was trying to make a little extra money and start a side business. I didn't try to become the next um, national leader, but that's where it went for a minute, and I had to back away because uh, I wasn't ready for it. I still was working for the government, still... Um, trying to save people, trying to take care of my family. I wasn't ready for the stage that they got thrown at me, so I had to back up. And all this is before Google and Facebook and social media. And then after that came, I had to slow my roll even more because uh, I wanted to keep my good government job. Um, <laughs> I wanted to keep my clearance. I, I, know, I, know, I know the folks that can come after you because I work with them. So right. I was like, so um, it was a couple of times I got in trouble. I had, my, my, my career um, took a dump. Um, because of my pro-gun stance, because I was marketing myself um, in this area, and folks were paying attention. They weren't saying anything. I found out later after I had left the, the government that, uh, oh, yeah, you was, you was on some list, dude. They was watching you to see whether you are going to become the next um, Huey B. Newton. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were 
because I, I was I was a lone dude when I was doing it. So I went to whoever was possibly could support me. Um, and I, I mean, I dabbled. I went to um, the Nation of Islam stuff. Um, I talked to um, a couple of leaders that were from overseas, a couple of different political parties. I mean, this gun thing was huge. And the industry, they were still back in the 60s. So they weren't trying to help me too much. But they would do the lip service. And I, I learned a lot about marketing, about people, um, about national organizations. And it changed my life. No, no joke. Wow, man, that's 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 got to be really I, I can understand wanting to back away from all that, because I don't know if I've been ready for all that either. People coming after you, looking at you, you on lists and, and, and all that. That's that's really some deep stuff, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I had my book. I'll tell you about my book. I had my first cover of my book. Um, I got a guy to do my photos for me. I didn't know he was a famous photographer. He had, he was like a, a underling of Gordon Parks. Um, the dude was talented. So he he did some really artistic stuff on my cover and did it in black and white. And at the time, I had a um, MP5 submachine gun. I was wearing a long black leather duster, and I had a firearms instructor badge on my belt buckle. And this is like the stuff I wore at the range. I did not know in about three or four months after publishing that book that the dude from Columbine was going to wear a long duster and go mm-hmm. kill a whole bunch of kids. Um, so, oh, and also the flag on the, on, the, on the book was backwards, not on purpose, which means distress. So um, black bookstores didn't, didn't want to sell my stuff. Um, folks didn't know where I was. They would hear me speak and say, well, this don't look like the guy that we think we're looking at. I mean, this is, <laughs> you're like a nice dude, but what's all this other stuff? And I was like, it's just marketing. But man, I overshot myself. Uh, mm. I went, I went to the to the moon. There was a group in South Africa that wanted to get my book translated um, there, and the Zulus wanted me to become like a spokesperson, and um, they, were, they wanted to publish my book in the national currency. So I had got re- they wanted me to republish it in South Africa, come there and, and then talk to them about the um, shooting and, and all the racism that was happening there. And I was like, oh, y'all about to get me all hemmed up. I, I, I won't even be able to get back home if, oh, yeah. I, left, if I left the States with this stuff. Absolutely not. Um, right. I tried to, I tried to start, a, I tried to get a range going. Um, that was an interesting thing. There was a range that was going out of, out of business. So I thought, all right. Folks know me a little bit. Let me go get some some funding or something. I'd be the first black range owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it sounded good, right? Um, I went to a radio station, Radio One, big big radio station, Kathy Hughes and all her her influence. And she had um, a whole lot of connections to a whole lot of people. So I was trying to, like, wed those people and talk to those people. Uh, talk, I met Dick Gregory. and I met, I met all these other cats that were, like, activists with, a, with, a, with anger and... Um, and that couldn't be, help. No, man. You <laughs> got you got to be careful when, <laughs> when folks start like putting their arm around you, and then they're like, "Oh, you're like that." Oh, so I didn't fit where people wanted me to go, so I had to like back away from that too. And then I found out that the, the range was a money pit. It was it closed for a reason. It was um, had a whole bunch of OSHA issues. It never it never opened, so I was mm-hmm. saved from that one. But later, maybe like a couple of years later, a guy up in in, uh, in Virginia did open. Uh, a gun range in a store so there's no no my first went to somebody else 
And I had an opportunity to be the first to do a whole bunch of stuff, but I just blame God for it. I mean, because a lot of stuff, if it happened to me, it would change my life. Um, and he kept me in spite of me. Um, some people don't have the, the faith thing and they don't, they don't see it, but everything I've done, if it was anybody else, they'd have been in a whole different ball game. I mean, even, even the book, when, when the book first came out, um, it was called um, Black Man with a Gun. People fear what they don't understand. The, the publisher changed that thing around because he didn't like the way it sounded, so he had it, um, a responsible gun ownership manual for African-Americans, all right? So I was like, okay, whatever. As long as I get this book out. Oprah, <laughs> Oprah snagged it, and I thought, Oprah got a book club? The brother's about to get paid. Um, and about six months later, her, her minions sent me a note saying, you know, this is not something Oprah wants to support. I was crushed, dude, um, yeah. because if you get past the cover, it's responsibility, it's safety, it's, it's nothing bad. But you go into an African-American bookstore, which was big at the time, you could buy a book about um, gang violence and, and monster, the, the guys yeah. locked up in prison, and, <laughs> and ice, cold, ice, ice Cold Slim, and all them dudes, Ice Pick Slim, all the dudes from Gaines' book. You could learn about being a pimp, a drug addict, you know, anybody, but not a responsible gun owner. Um, not from a guy who is a law enforcement trainer who's actually trying to save some lives, how to keep um, the firearm that's been locked in the house for 100 years, get the, far- the parents together to learn how to use it so they can save their kids from being an accident or getting it stolen out of the house because it's not secured. All that stuff went out the window. I mean, it just, I could not do as good a job as I wanted to. And I had to skirt the politicians. Like, as soon as I became an NRA person, and they were like, oh, yeah. I was like a, a, a Republican friend. I mean, I got pulled. Luckily, I live near D.C., so I got pulled to dinners, and I started meeting people. I had a, I almost had a direct line to being a politician. Um, I, had a, I had a guy call me one day, and he said, um, well, we got, uh, it was like a star chamber moment. This guy, I went down to the, um, what was the name of that hotel? I think it was like the National, or it was like this, this really uppity, place where they only serve steak and asparagus i mean it was like uh, okay. <laughs> serious right and the, and the only black people were the, the waiters and this right, dude right, was right. This dude was sitting in there in his high back chair um like one of them dude from trading places and he said he pulled his little notebook out and he says yeah we've been watching you and um we, we think um you could do some good stuff and i'm thinking who is this cat and he was <laughs> and he, and he was like um we're um we got we got mr thomas in his position and we helped him get on the Supreme Court, and I'm thinking, oh wow. yeah, I'm with, some, I'm with some, I'm with some movers right here, right? Yeah, you used to movers and shakers. Here. <laughs> so, so the other guy was like, yeah, I've been telling you about this guy. This, this is Ken Blanchard. He's, he's a really good dude. And, and, um, then, the, and the, the younger guys kind of peeled away and left me with the older cats, and they were just talking to me like I was, um, like I wasn't there for the most part. And I thought, mm, nah, this is not gonna go well for the, for the kid. Uh, so I went home, and my wife was like, so what's going to happen? I said, I don't even know. I have no clue. Uh, and nothing happened. Again, I take it as a God move. Um, and I, and I, I tell you, in, in my life, I'm the dude that joined the military because he wanted to prove to his family that he wasn't 
a weakling, and he's gonna he gonna make him prove everything because I had low self esteem as a kid. So I'm gonna go into the Marines because they just figure out you know the little Kenny can't make it. I get in the Marine Corps and excel on that joint, and then also find out that my home life was worse than the Marine Corps. This stuff here is a breeze. So um, that's the little bit of time, the five years that I was in is the only time in like the last 300 years that there was no conflict, no war, nothing. Um, so I couldn't even join the veterans of foreign wars because uh, nothing happened when I was in, which again, is a God thing. I mean, it's just, cause I was ready. I mean, I was like gung ho to the ninth. Uh, when, I, when I was in there, I excelled because I, I took all their stuff. Um, I was looking for a gang to join. I was looking for a group to be a part of, and I sucked that stuff up, man. I was an obnoxious Marine. Um, I got promoted like super fast from boot camp all the way up to um, my first three years. I was an E5. I was a sergeant already. Um, but life happens, and, uh, and I'm still learning and having a good time doing it. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely good. You talked about uh, Oprah not, not wanting uh, that to be supportive of that kind of thing. We talked about this last time. In 2021, uh, you still thinking a lot of black people are still hesitant or there's a changing more uh, to be re uh, responsible gun owners or what, what's been the reception to you and to the podcast, to the book and, and just to black gun ownership overall? I don't know when it happened exactly. Um, but I, I think I'm going to blame social media um, when Facebook and Instagram and YouTube popped into the scene in the late 90s or the early 2000s. That's when the African-American community and the Latin community exploded with gun ownership. It's a whole different world than it was when I got started. Um, there are so many groups that use social media to show their clubs. I mean, there's got to be at least an 80% rise from when I started to now. Um, and they moved so fast, they didn't even know I existed. So um, when, they, when they started doing their stuff on Instagram, for example, um, this one guy, he put on there, I'm going to be black man with a gun. And because of the, the young people also who don't know their history, also don't research past what happened yesterday, <laughs> they were like, yeah, this is great. And they, and they all followed him until somebody older said, you know, you're like the second, right? Because there's like one that's been before you. And, he, and it was like the brakes got put on. And then all his people found me. And then they were like, dude, you're like the OG of this thing. We had no idea. And it was at the time when I was thinking, ah, I'm through with you cats. I mean, you're, you're, you're done. You got, you got what you want. Knock yourself out. Um, some people want to blame Trump for it. He didn't. He didn't hurt the cause. He made it. He made it. He made it go faster, um, and people um, flocked to the range. They were buying. You could you, right now. You can't buy ammo. You can't buy ammo. You can't buy a firearm. And, and the firearms that they're selling are the scrub guns that nobody wanted. But that's yeah. like the last thing that's left. All the quality stuff got snagged like a couple years ago from the African American community. And I've gone to the range since. And seen waiting lines like I've never seen. It was like the DMV in there. They got page, pagers for for range time. That's how many. That's how many black folks are at the range. And when I started, when more than three or four black people went to the range at one time, they gave me credit for it. They were like, "Hey, I seen some of your people in here." I'm thinking, I don't even know who you're talking about. But they just figure <laughs> all black people 
Ken must have brought him in there. So, and then as it grew, sometimes it was me because I was on radio, on traditional radio back in the day. But the um, now, nah, now I'm like the mountain man. They don't even remember this dude. I'm like Jeremiah Johnson, and um, it's it's cool though. In some ways, and in some ways, it's like unless you learn from your history, you guys are gonna make the same mistakes, and right. that's what's going down right now. Now, okay, so let's talk about those mistakes. What 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 mistakes can can black gun ownerships make? Is I assume that's what you mean by mistakes. Um, you can make mistakes. Um, segregating yourself. Mm. See, I say in this time period, this ain't the '60s, even though we're still doing same same crazy stuff from the '60s. Mm. You can, unless you get involved in your political activities, you will be isolated. You won't know what's going down. You can be a, a, a giant bass in your lake, but be a shrimp in the ocean. Um, and when I was trying to do this thing, so many white folks were like, dude, how can we get more brothers and sisters to the range? And they were honestly trying to get their racist historical thing erased and and get more people of color into the range because it would help keep the range open because folks was using the race card against them when they weren't racist they were like well you don't employ or you don't have any any black members so we're going to shut you down so they was trying to get us for a whole bunch of reasons um now they got the opportunity to merge with a whole bunch of groups but the black gun owners right now don't want to be with anybody else um, we're, we're in the, the infancy stage where it's like um, when you're a little kid in kindergarten, all the boys on one side, all the girls on the other. And then as you get a little older, you start seeing a cute little girl that you want to talk to and you jump your line. And then as you get older, um, you find out that there's like some cool people of other races that, that you like and you have been stuck in your same mode for so, you know, so long, only the black people. Or you get thrown into college or the military where you now have to be in a melting pot and you grow as a person. We haven't got there yet. We still, we're gonna make an all black gun club, which is good for a minute, for good growth, for safety, but in long-term planning, no. It'll make you an extreme group. It'll, it'll, it'll limit your, your knowledge, your resources, so many things. Um, until you get like a Star Trek bridge, you ain't going nowhere. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. You gotta let, let the blue people in and the green people in, and you'll be good. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and I agree with that. And, and I and I'm all for that. I think I think your absolute your assessment is absolutely correct. We may have started this way for protection, for knowledge base, but we can't stay that way. Otherwise, you you will become an extremist. You'll become you know everybody in there be talking all black stuff, or or if you're a white group, you'll be talking all white stuff. And next thing you it know, you're happens. Yeah, That's how people yeah. are. It just happens, yeah. and you wonder why. Why did your group get extreme? Because I saw it in mine. Um, when I started the 10th Cavalry in 1991, I just wanted a group to train. And my group got extreme fast, where they were like, all right, we're going to have a party at Ken's house. So I had like giant cookouts all of a sudden at my house. And then I had a, a couple of elder people that were actually Malcolm X's caterer and driver. Um, oh, wow. And then... So they brought they brought this history with them, which our folks ate up, and then we became like paramilitary, like real fast. Like um, folks started buying all these black fatigues and stuff. I was like, dude, new. No. If you didn't serve in the military, take that stuff off. Um, mm. It might look cool, 
but it gives a whole different look. Um, and then I look now, and there's a whole group in Atlanta that um, that's the way they roll. And I just shake my head like an old dude on the couch. Like <laughs> they'll they'll learn because uh, you can't. I mean, there's there's been so many groups before us uh, move. There's been um, uh, Panthers. There's been there's been so many sects and groups of us that started off really really good, and all you need is a couple of charismatic nuts to make everybody seem like they're bad too. And then next thing you know, you're being categorized and they're firebombing your neighborhood or or arresting you for something. I mean, it takes like that much energy to go in in the wrong direction and you can't stop that thing once it goes. Yeah. And and listen, you already know that uh, that they'll be watching you. So you don't need <laughs> you don't you don't need uh, your group being watched, you know. For, for, I mean, I'm sure they're watching every group, but but when you it's start fast, it's faster now. I mean, yeah. it, it it used to take paper and time. Um they got programs now. They can mm. they can do a program on your Instagram account and and tag all your people. And if your people go off they got they got names and then I mean it's just it's just um it's just a miracle on how social media has has helped us and is actually gonna be a threat for some people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of that stuff is good. Like uh, you know, I I I meet someone and next thing you know, uh, they're popping up. Uh, you know, you should friend this person on Facebook or or your 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 new friend uh, is uh, is on Instagram. I'm like, how do how do y'all know? <laughs> how do y'all know? Man, the algorithms are the devil. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna tell you this this is a true story. I was talking to my son about um trying to maintain yourself as a man and and doing certain things, and I was showing him on I think it was Instagram, and he showed me his his page, and his sister popped up with a big backside. I mean, she was she was finer than a mug, and I was like, that's an algorithm. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, as soon as that computer realized that that's what you like. And then yeah. I clicked on it. Man, for the next three weeks, all I got was these <laughs> sisters with the big bottoms. And I was like, I can't get these off. So I had to like almost delete my whole thing and, re- and replace it with like puppies. I was like, all right, now we're going to do all all puppies. No no sisters on here and I'll be fine. And, it, and that's like our joke. So they can track without even knowing what you do. Um, and it's not even intentional. It's not the government. It's the... The, the, the companies themselves yeah 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 i remember um we were going to uh to uh to a restaurant and we couldn't think of the name of the restaurant so we were like uh, we, and we knew it began with a g we we're like mm. graces or something we knew it began with a g and i think we actually said that because with a g so we're like okay just google it so we're and we're driving now right so we're so my uh, my ex at the time she she pulls up she pulls up uh, she takes out her phone and types in the letter G of all the words in the English language the first word that popped up was the restaurant that we was looking for I mean they are just listening and watching and knowing what you're doing at all times here's a here's, a, here's another story so same thing we're going to a, we're going to now we we're going to a, a little resort and so. I set, I set all my my uh, I set up all the notifications and the correspondence with the resort through G through through Hotmail through my Hotmail account. So now we're going to Gmail. Uh, well, I'm going to Google the the address to the place. Now two different accounts, right? Hotmail is Windows. Google is a totally different company. But when I Googled it, it said uh, this is the address and you'll be here in two days. 
<laughs> from Google to G, they're, they're all communicating with each other and knowing where you're going to be and stuff. I was so offended. I'm like, you, this is crazy. This is crazy. You guys are talking to each other and telling each other where people are going to be and all this kind of stuff, you know? I mean, we know it's out there, but to see it and to tell me that you're doing it, it, it was really just, it was just extreme to me. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's just crazy. Crazy. You talked about... Uh, uh, you, you want to own um, uh, a range, and are there a lot of? Uh, and you're, uh, do you know there's a lot of black dealers, specifically dealers, shops, uh, ranges, uh, where, where people are doing this thing at? No, doing their thing at? No. no, right now, I I guess that there's probably less than five in the whole U.S. that are mm -hmm. black owned, um, and but there's probably you know a thousand instructors, a thousand makers of different products, um, and that's. That's a nice thing to, if you can pop up, if you can make something that has to do with the firearms industry and it works, um, you'll probably stay employed and rich forever. Um, but nobody owns the big stuff. Yeah. Well, that's where, that's where we, I think we got to get to owning the shops and the, in the ranges and uh, becoming a dealer and all that. I think that that's, that's where the money is, or at least you'd be able to secure if something crazy does ever happen, God forbid, then we'll always have access to, uh, to that type of uh, what, what I've learned material. though is that it's it's still beholding to the to the government. So that's one of those jobs that's that's regulated by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. So um, you won't be able to make as much money as you hope. I, I learned that too. Like firearms, um, the Glock, for example, when the Glock came out in 1984, 85 time period, and it was pushed on as a plastic gun. It wasn't a plastic gun. It's not a attractive firearm, but it's man, it really <laughs> it really works. It's efficient. It's it's cheap to make. And Gaston Glock made this thing for like three hundred dollars. He was selling them for like three fifty. And Maryland didn't want to allow this gun into the state. So they upped this they upped this rule that unless it's over four hundred dollars, it falls into the Saturday night special law, which criminals would be able to get. So Gaston had to automatically make his pistol. He don't want to lose any money to 450. So now a pistol that's 450 can be sold in Maryland. Now now Glocks are probably seven or eight hundred bucks. But the federal government mandates which guns can come in, which guns can be sold, and the, the margin is small. And uh, you, and if you have a range, you got OSHA is, issues, you got lead abatement, you have stuff that you have to take care of. There's like insurance liabilities because now people actually try to kill themselves in your range. So you have to have like goo gobs of, exp, of um, insurance. So there's the profits are like lower on stuff that you have to um, connect with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, like even, even booze. Um, and then soon enough when marijuana becomes legalized, It'll probably go under uh, B A T F E as well. So <laughs> that's just gonna cut out somebody. Um, yeah. So it's while you're out in the street, you're making profit. But as soon as the government gets into it, it's gonna it's gonna kill it. I wanted to um, I want to have you on and talk about um, uh, obviously these uh, mass shootings that have been going on. But before we get to that, I've, I've been asking all my guests about their thoughts about what happened on January sixth. Uh, with the um, you know the insurrection uh, there and uh, so, so let yeah let's just start out there. What's what's your thoughts about about that whole debacle there? Man, that was some crazy stuff. Cause I'm I'm here. I'm like uh, 
I'm less than a half hour away from DC. And I had friends, uh, white friends who were like, Hey man, um, you're pro constitution. You're, you're pro American. You're pro this. You, you going downtown. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going. Downtown. <laughs> um, there's always a protest in Washington, DC. There's always somebody down here talking about something crazy. I mean, it's, they'll shut down the street in a heartbeat. We're used to that around here. And there's no way I'm doing anything counter to the government. Um, in this day and age, and you shouldn't either. And he was like, well, I'm gonna try to make it. I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, stay home. Stay your butt in Tennessee. And when that thing unfolded on the news, and I'm thinking of him again, I'm like, dude, I'm so glad I told you not to come because it got out of hand. It got out of hand in the worst way. You had a, you had a president who didn't have a clue what he was doing. Um, I still think he's probably the most clueless person that's ever been in government. Really, really, yeah. I, 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 we hadn't talked. I thought you were kind of on his side there. No, okay. no well, I'm no. glad to hear that. <laughs> no, I think that dude is the most clueless, yeah. um, sheltered, rich dude who didn't have a clue the power of his mic, the power of his pulpit, the power of anything that he said and done. And he, he, he set us back 30 years. He did. Um, uh, he let the door open to all our enemies, foreign and domestic. That's, that's what I'm saying he did. And uh, he incited a riot. Yeah, he, he gave he gave energy to people who had been felt like there was fear of missing out. You know that that, that FOMO thing, the the fear of loss, is one of the most powerful things in the world. People use it all the time. They'll say, um, "Act now, or, or you won't get this," or, or mm. "Only so many left," and folks will buy. Um, it's it's a powerful thing, the fear of loss. When somebody says, "Um, you got to save me, or I'm going to die." Folks will stop what they're doing for fear of loss. Well, the whole racism piece, the whole insurrection piece is based on loss. People, white people, people who are poor, people who um, have a belief system that they are entitled to some stuff, that they should have been further along than they are. All that stuff was touched, that they are losing out. And that fear got them all the way to D.C. Um, that fear made them join groups. And they connected with other people who had the same fear. And fear is a powerful motivator. And it made them jokers think that if they got up here, they were going to change something. Like we were in um, the 1800s. And uh, it was a group think, which happens. Like, I can't stand mobs. Um, the only, only mob I like is Carnival. And I got, if I ain't in Brazil, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> the, the, um, other than that, more, more than a couple hundred people, that thing could change. It's kind of yeah. like um, watching those those shrimp and fish in the ocean when they all move in with the current. <clears throat> you get somebody following somebody that's bad, and everybody's just thinking, well, everybody next to me is doing it, so let's keep doing it. It can turn to some ugly stuff, and that's what we saw. Yeah. yeah. People died. People just got carried away, just, got, just kept doing what they could feel. I mean, it was just – it was sad, dude. It was sad to see our country – act like we were in a banana republic, acting like we were not, not Americans, not, not free, that we'd just given up all the stuff we'd been fighting for. And I actually believed that stuff that was going on. Unbelievable. You, you, you obviously associate with a lot of people who, who are more conservative. Um, and your friend went down there, uh, tried to get you to go. Um, what has, been their, what has there been their response since that? I mean, have you talked to him and said, hey, listen, this is what happened? Or what do you think about this? What, do you, what are your friends saying about all that? 
Oh, I, I um, I had to do a, gr- a good purge, which they, kinda, <laughs> they, they, they had to do it on their own too. Um, a lot of folks like I'm leaving Facebook, I'm leaving Instagram, thinking good, um, good. because <laughs> you're you're on that side of the fence, and um, your pride and ego, or whatever, is keeping you going that way. We don't need to be together no more. So I probably lost a good fifteen hundred people um, from my Facebook page. Either I purposely got rid of them. Or they left it, you know. They went to Twitter, and then Twitter shut them down. And I was, I was watching this thing. Like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? So, so now, um, it it really, the one dude that I was talking to in Tennessee thanked me. Um, he said, he said, dude, I did not know it was gonna go like that. Uh, I'm so glad that I couldn't make it. I'm thinking that's why we still talking. Because <laughs> who knows what happened if you got up here? You might have switched. You you can't you can't tell what happens to you in a mob. Um, there's there's um yeah I've seen it. I've seen it oh too many times, man. I I remember the one civil disobedience thing that I was dressed up in riot gear and watching professional rioters that would come out of town. Um, and they all had the same car. You can tell them when you're in, if you're in a, ever traffic and you see a small gas efficient car with like 39,000 bumper stickers on the back save the whales i mean every every cause there is they got bumper sticker on the back most of those folks are wealthy mm, legal yeah. students <laughs> that that yeah. are professional protesters and they are in the midst of every group thing that comes in the D, in the DC um and when we arrested people they knew all their amendments they knew all their constitutional rights they were, they were quoting laws to me as i was putting on the handcuffs um, and those people have their own agenda, and they can move the crowd, um, kind of like that, um, like the whisperers on on the Walking Dead. Um, they're they're walking in the midst of the zombies, but you don't know you're a zombie. You're just being manipulated with the crowd. And there's some leaders that are really good at doing that. So it it made me pull back, um, and want to be the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. Very good. And, and thank you for that, because we need some reasonable, rational uh, gun owners. <laughs> and, and some of these people were just nuts, you know, and it's too bad that they couldn't see, uh, you know, the the I think you were kind of very kind to talk about the former president. But he, I, I think he was a charlatan. I think he was I think he was manipulative. I think he, you know, just did everything to uh uh, for himself, he gaslit uh, uh, millions of people who still voted for him in the in the most recent election. I just, you know, I, and I was rooting for him. I mean, I think that people wanted change from the previous administration, which I don't, you know, it's it is what it is. People want change. They want better. They want different. They want jobs. They want security. They want their their paychecks to go up. We're all we're all in agreement about that. But this guy was not the guy to do it. <laughs> he couldn't care less about that. So, and then and then he tricked people and he and he caused a massive riot right before he's leaving that was the craziest i couldn't none of us could believe what we were seeing i couldn't believe it. I, is this really happening <laughs> you know so. i was so i was so glad that i was no longer a federal police officer because i mm-hmm. i know the capitol police i know how they train i know i know their whole structure and i watched that thinking they're in trouble because it's a it's a political police department where your normal thing is giving directions, fixing a flat tire, helping a congressman start their car. Um, you might every once in a while have to get somebody arrested because they're drunk or 
hide something that the politicians don't want nobody else to see. They were not ready for the, the down and dirty that came to them. Um, and because they're so political, they got like 900 layers of leadership and nobody wanted to make a call. So, and, and that's what happens when you have big organizations that are backed by politics and, and whatever. So if you were like in, and you see this too, if you, when you are a police officer in a small town, um, you got like a chief, a sergeant, you got a desk guy, you, you got maybe three people and then he's, and then they got bosses in the federal government. There's like a host of these rascals that if this guy's not on leave, this person is an acting chief today. Um, and they don't want to mess their career up. They've been in for 10 years, 15 years, and they want to be for 25 so they can get that mandatory retirement. And when stuff is going down, you will not get a crisp answer. You will not get a yes or no. You are on your own. So all those officers were on their own fighting masses of people. Um, and I'm watching it going, they're not going to get any help. Um, I'm glad I, am, I was not there. Because I would have been, oh, it'd have been horrible, dude. I'd have emptied my rounds. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, it'd have just been, I'd have been like public enemy number one. It just went off on me because they were like, this dude shot seventeen people. It's like, why did you shoot seventeen? Because I didn't have eighteen rounds. Because I didn't have eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> it'd have been bad, man. It'd have been bad. Because it was a threat. It was a threat on all their lives. You ain't spraying me with no, no pepper spray, no bear spray. You're not blinding me. You're not gonna hit me with a flagpole. It's like, oh no. <laughs> that was crazy to, to watch that. Man, it was just yeah. crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah, that was that was. I, I was troubled by that. Obviously, you know, former law enforcement. But I was looking at this like this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Taking taking beatings and taking yeah the flagpoles and bear spray and just man trying to take their tasers. Yeah, I, we would have been popping off some rounds. It would have it would have been some 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 rounds flying that day. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanted to get to just killed all my my peacemaking minister talk there. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, that dude ain't no good. He evil. <laughs> well, man, listen. Sometimes, some, what, what is, I think it's Romans says right. Uh, uh, you don't carry the sword in vain, right, or something like that, right? <laughs> you, you got we got this thing for a, for a purpose, right? So. Yeah, Peter, 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 cut a dude. In a heartbeat, right? <laughs> Jesus, put, put this back on him because I, I could help myself. I, I, had, I had to cut him. <laughs> I got Listen, I don't want to do it, but I got to cut you. So. Yeah, I got to cut you, man. <laughs> so I want to get your your opinion about these mass shootings. Uh, you know, obviously it's it's coming up again. Um, one of the biggest problems we're having is defining what is a mass shooting. I mean, you read one article, read one politician, read another uh, academic. They're all saying different things. But what's your opinion about these massive shootings that were going on? We had the thing in Boulder, Colorado. Um, uh, we had the one down south in Atlanta. The guy was going to the Asian shops there. And, and uh, I had them all listed out here. Let me try to pull them up here. Shoot, it's a big list, dude. It might be almost 25 since January. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been huge. And depending on which site you use, um, if they're anti-gun, they might make the numbers almost 400. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. If, and if they're pro-gun, they're going to be conservative on that thing, and and define it as. So that's the other thing that's new now. Um, news isn't news. It used mm. it used to be uh, journalistic integrity. Um, you had to cite your sources. You had to have reason. Now, not so much. Now you can say anything. Um, like uh, Reverend Al Sharpton did when I was on his show back in the day. 
Um, that joker was just citing stuff like off the chain. He was just quoting stuff from, I don't know, Looney Tunes statistics. <laughs> and and then he had like banners going across the screen that I couldn't see to support his statistics. And everybody was like nodding their head, looking at me like I was the Antichrist. Right now, because of our information overload, because we trust nothing, because we have faith in nothing, because we are think we're on our own, because we're over-medicated, because we're poor, because we've lost hope. Folks will kill indiscriminately and then murder themselves. Um, folks will be sane looking today, be able to buy a firearm because of our, you know, you're free to do such a thing. But underlying, they're going through some serious trauma, got some serious issues, and decide this is a good day to go out in a blaze of glory. So, so we have some humanity issues that are going on right now that nobody likes to address because they're squishy. Mm-hmm. Um, people, people don't define like one plus one. We're algebra. We got one A. We got stuff with us <laughs> plus one B, and you don't know what that stuff is. It's going to equal like two B plus C. And it's, I didn't understand the algebra thing in school. I thought. Nobody needs this. Humanity is algebra. Um, who you see, they might be a two, but you don't know that little variable that's stuck to them, their, their past life, their trauma, what's going on in their spirit, in their head. You don't know, and you can't legalize that. So right now, we got a plethora of panic and, a, and, a, and just manic depression and, and issues that nobody wants to address. It used to be, that boy need Jesus. Church has done lost all credibility. Um, every, yeah, yeah. With, 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 the, with the same amount of energy of a mass shooting, you got mass preachers showing their butt and, and showing fraud and showing um, that they're in it for themselves. And where, the, where is that little person out on the street helping the homeless? Where is the person that is usually not a church? Um, where is the person who's clothing the naked or doing the work of God. You don't see that. You see the, you see the guy <clears throat> buying a Lexus or a Tesla with, with government funds. You see the one who got like three wives. You see the one that's on, um, I don't know, cable television, the lifestyles of the rich and preaching. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's stuff. So our whole, my whole community, our whole culture is out of whack right now. And that's why, we got the mass shootings. That's why we got the killings. Um, that's why we got people who think nothing other than shoot their whole family and take their own lives. That's what's going on. Then you got you got law enforcement, man. You got law enforcement that ain't like the cops who we serve with. The one, the officer friendly, that dude, no, he's gone. He left when we left. Um, when you used to work long hours because, yeah, I had to, I had to stay over and change a tire. Um, this lady called me to get her cat, and the next thing I know, I was doing it you know i had to rescue a baby stuff that happened when we were on not the case now um now we got folks who should not even have a badge um they skipped a level somewhere um they probably went from afghanistan to the street and everybody's not a friendly um so if you scare me if you look like like the kid that used to take my lunch money in high school and uh you move too fast i'm gonna blast you you don't forgot all we used to teach about the use of force. You don't forget all about the steps. You don't, you don't forget so much in that whole force continuum. 
Um, you're, I don't know where they went, but there's got to be a serious overhaul of our judicial system. I mean, you got prisons full of people that some of them don't even belong to be in there, but they didn't have no money, so they're there. I mean, it's like it's so many broken pieces. Uh, that's that's my answer, man. Just um, it's too it's too squishy. I mean, it's not. Um, I wish it was one thing. I, I certainly agree. Um, you, you talked about this, the, the the mental health component to it. You know, people's in their in their minds and their spirit, they're, they're holding a lot of things. And you're right. They, they There's a loss of jobs. And you talked about before the loss of hope. And you, know, you don't have jobs or hope or, or, or vision of the future, man. And, and, and now, you know what, I'm going to just go out and take a blaze of glory. I'm going to take some other people with me. Um, and I think that that really is um, a driving, motivating factor. And to address that, you have to address economic oppression. You know, you have to talk to the rich and say, give up some of your money. Not, not that we they, want to give them the, their, their they money, but they well, that ain't that ain't gonna happen. I mean, they, <laughs> but but this is but this is that would solve so many of these problems um, if we could get people the mental health uh, uh, medications that they need. Um, that, that would solve a lot of things. But of course, the the, the government and the the funds and the uh, the big farmers not going to just give away stuff, you know. So again, a lot of this is just economics. And if we could really solve that economics piece, then we could certainly solve a lot of these. Not all of them, but, but certainly do something about these mass shootings. Um, what's what's it do to the to the to the debate over guns? What's it, what's it do to the debate over guns? Feeds Politicians it, keeps it going. I mean, because if I, you know, I was out of work um, in 2014. I think it was 2013. 2013 is when I, I quit. I quit a job. I quit being a pastor of a church because they didn't like me bringing in strays. Um, <laughs> you got all these unchurched folk, folk in here, man. <laughs> dude, I, I, I am not. I am not your normal pastor. So I <laughs> bringing in strays. I went, I went in the streets, man. I, I, our church was like not too far from where Rayful Edmonds had a huge crack center. So there was like some mass people who had um, no hope. They had they were living off the government. They were still addicted to stuff. They were making it the best way they can, but it was a whole bunch of people. And my, my church was a well-to-do assembly of elder people who had, who had done really well in the 60s and 70s, and they were trying to live out their last days in this like social club they called the church. Um, and I, I stumbled in there and messed it up because I was trying to bring in um, former hookers and drug dealers and people on the street, you know, stuff Jesus would do. I mean, yeah, the I, thing I, that Jesus would do. I actually, <laughs> I actually believe that stuff, right? Because just, just like I was in the Marine Corps, I was, I was like, I was, I'm still, I'm still, what's the word? I'm fanatical for, for, for doing what God want me to do. So the same power and passion I had as a Marine, which was obnoxious, I was obnoxious as a, as a pastor. So I'm out in the street and I'm bringing in strays and they're not, they not feeling it, right? They're like, this dude smells or she's not dressed like she should be. And I'm trying to help somebody. And this, this thing got me fired, basically. So I, I was like, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to quit and go back out in the street and, and keep helping people. Well, I ran for office in 2014 because I had no job. I figured, all right. I just seen that this guy, this congressperson, or not congress, this um, county council person, making almost $90,000, only worked four days a week. I can do that. So I ran for office. I ain't never ran for office in my life. But I saw 
how that thing worked. They were like um, 20 people running and they all knew each other. It was like a thing. They had it all run for offices before. Um, they had all worked their way up from different positions and they knew the dirt on each other. So I flipped and said, all right, I'm not going to run in the Democratic Party. I'm going to become a Republican. There was nobody in the Republican Party against any of these guys. So I ran unopposed on my side. So I won, I won my primary and everything. Didn't have a chance in heck. But the um, but it, it showed me how the political machine works mm. and how this gun thing works for politicians is if I, now a politician, want to get some kudos, get some points, all I got to do is propose something for the gun issue. All I got to do is say, I'm going to ban all pink buttons on revolvers. And there might not be any pink buttons, but nobody will ask that question. Um, pink buttons don't help anything. But the fact that I'm making this legislation, the fact that I'm promoting it, the fact that I'm saying it, he's doing something for this gun control thing. And then I can probably even get the thing passed. There will be no pink buttons on revolvers from this point forward. Yay. And I can tell people. I can write about it. I can say, well, during my time, I kept all those pink buttons off of revolvers. And that's what politicians do right now. And that's what they're using all the, the shootings, the killings, the murders, the crime. Folks won't dig past the fluff mm-hmm. and see that they're not changing a life. That's a long way to get to this one answer. I'm sorry. Um, to get to this one thing, what can we do to stop the killing? What can we do to stop the murders? Um, they propose stuff that won't work. They propose stuff that hasn't worked. They propose stuff that they know in their right minds that this was just malarkey. But it keeps me in office. It keeps me paid. It gives me a microphone. And I'll be famous for it. Yeah. No, I certainly agree that they are introducing legislation or co-signing legislation that uh, either they know won't pass, uh, know will pass, but won't have any long-term effects. Um, and you know they're they're beholden to to the big corporations. We talk, you know, whether it's big pharma, whether it's uh, the, you know gun corporations, they're they're beholden to all these different things that they know won't work. And um, and I think that that's the problem. And I think that yes, we need to do something that's going to save people's lives, whether it's the mental health, getting people jobs, uh, having a different outlook, whatever. We need to do something seriously about that. Um, a lot of these places, man, I mean, you know, these stores that were shot up, uh, I'm wondering how many people are armed in them. I mean, we know that gun gun sales have gone up, but are people not carrying? I mean, nobody's shooting back or seen, seen in many cases, I, you know, what, what's your thoughts about that? That, that just bothers, bothers me a little bit. How come nobody's trying to stop these guys? Not no one's. There are some videos here and there where we see people do shoot back, but, but these massive shootings, what's your opinions about that? Well, the the smart people um, stay out of gunfights. If you know the bad guy's coming this week, that's the the week you don't go. Um, And sometimes, most of the time, the reason you carry is to protect you and your family, not to engage. So the more trained you are, the less likely you are to to go in harm's way. Being being a concealed carry member, uh, having that legal right to be able to carry for your own protection. It's just like we had it as police officers, except for um, we are expected to go toward the gunfight, um, and they are not. So 
you, they have an option that we didn't have. And if we're in uniform, that makes it even worse. Um, where if there's gunfire, they expect you not to go behind them, but to run toward the gun battle. Um, and that don't happen all the time. And then legally, we actually don't even have a, a legal right to, uh, not, or a legal obligation to go toward a gunfight. So um, that's why nobody shoots back. And sometimes it happens. Well, not sometimes. It always happens when you're not ready for it. Mm. And the folks that know about gunfight, their thing is, if you're not coming toward me and my family, I'm not running down this mall to get you. Yeah. Or if you're not in uniform, unless you're on my street, I'm not coming down it. I mean, just, it's the real thing. I mean, America still, we love the hero. I mean, we we, we love some Avengers. And before the Avengers, we loved the, the Wild West dude. Uh, we yeah. wanted to do with the white hat to show up. And a lot of us became law enforcement because we are we built like that. Um, we got some stuff in us that if stuff go down, we're going toward the sound. Um, and the rest of America, not like that anymore. That, that those guys are gone. And we watch them on television. Um, but um, <laughs> From the safety of our couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we become the old uncle that everybody calls now. Uh, so-and-so ain't come home. Can you go get him? What's wrong with his daddy and his mama was all the people, but now, now we that uncle, right? We the uncle that's always been in the family that they they, they were like they know. If, all right, we don't like everything he say, but if something go down, we come to your house. Yeah, we become that person now in in the family. Yeah, yeah, brother, I thank you for coming on, man. Um, tell us about you. You got two other podcasts you said now, right? I know you yeah. got the, the the church one, um, mm-hmm. Speak Life Church, um, okay. comes out every week. Um, it's on Pandora. And I had the newest show. It's only my fifth week. It's a culmination of what I've just said. Um, I called If I Died Tonight. It's the newest podcast. I took uh, took the title from Tupac. And it's basically for my same crew. Um, law enforcement, hunters, gun owners, um, wrestlers, fighters, the tough guys, the folks who um, are struggling and don't have somebody that will actually tell them that you can make it. Um, it's... Um, suicide prevention it's motivation it's uh it's the squishy stuff because i'm actually trying to get off the couch and help and help somebody and that's i think that that's actually wonderful i think that that's actually wonderful so uh, i don't know how big you are into hip-hop um but we had a couple of people who died fairly recently dmx dealing with uh, his demons uh drug addiction and I'm, I'm not exactly sure about Black Rob, what he Black died Rob. from. Yeah. Um, Humpty Dumpty Doo. Oh, Humpty I didn't even know that one. That was I, I didn't know. I actually, I didn't know that. One. I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. One. So, so I mean, this this idea, and I've talked about this a couple times on my show, is um, the idea of, of particularly black males taking care of ourselves, going to get, uh, you know, our prostate exams, uh, going to get just overall checked out. Uh, we can think, you know, a year, what is it, a year or so ago, Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther had died. Um, you know, all the, many of these things are preventable. Um, so uh, what, what's your thoughts about, about that? You know, just getting ourselves checked out, eating right, uh, all that. What's your thoughts about that? Man, that's, that's some smart stuff. I'm going to have to add that to my list on if I die tonight, because mm. unless we talk about it, it's not going to get spoken of. I mean, mm. we, we forget about us. Mm. He's so busy fighting against the uh, systematic racism, fighting against the uh, communities, fighting. I mean, 
black folks, we still fighting. Sometimes we fight in our own demons, our own stuff in our own head, and we forget that we only got a certain amount of time on this earth, and you got to take care of you or you can't fix nobody else. So mm-hmm. that, that the health piece is important. Um, yeah, I was real late, man, getting my colon oscopy checked. I mean, I just did it a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, my wife was on me hard. Like, you see that commercial? I was like, I ain't mm-hmm. thinking about that. And then when, when, the, when the panther went down, that's mm-hmm. when I went, right? I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, Wakanda forever, buddy. I'm going I'm to get myself fixed. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, man, you, you're totally on with that one. We got to do better, yeah. fellas. We got to do better with ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Got to, I got to go. Matter of fact, uh, uh, next, I think it's the first week in May, go get my colonoscopy done. So that's going to be the first one. So, and listen, it's it's always so easy to to put it off. You know, I put off, you know, the prostate exam. You know, I don't want this. I'm, I'm thinking the doctor, man, you, you need need to take me out to dinner after you do this, right? <laughs> We're not even friends. Dude. You're not even friends. Why, why are you touching me like that? <laughs> then he told me, man, this is not the high, highlight of my day either, man. Oh, okay, man, okay. <laughs> you know, but uh, but yeah, we, we got to get that stuff done. Our PSA levels, our, our prostate check, our colonoscopies. And, and again, this, is, this goes in the financial piece because a lot of people can't afford to get this done because of insurance, you know, so. And getting and worse I, every day. And getting worse every day so and to, to see these these great men um uh who who have lost we've lost way too soon way too early in life because of uh these these largely pre- preventable or treatable diseases you know if we catch this stuff quickly we can do something about it uh i also talk about my own journey um, um as far as uh, uh adopting a, a whole food plant-based diet you know i do i'm doing a plant thing now and uh wow. no more meat from me yeah, so um, and I'm you know feeling good. I, I ran the other day, was not tired, so dropped a few pounds, um, and just uh, you know because of all this stuff that I had gone through and just seeing a lot of things that we go through, you know, our cholesterol, our all this stuff, man, is really really largely preventable. Our high blood pressure, uh, you know, diabetes, none of this stuff is is coming up because we're old <laughs> or getting older. A lot of it has to do with what we're putting in our mouth. So and that's just. A little bit of what I have adopted, and I talked about a couple of times on my show. And I think that people really need to—you don't have to do what I'm doing. It's extreme. I wish that people would, but at, at the minimum, just eat more fruits and vegetables. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You know, that's that's what I can say about that. Man, we were talking before the show started um, about extreme subjects and stuff, and and what works. When you make a lot of sense then your viewership would go down. I mean, if, if, you, ain't, if you ain't talking crazy stuff, anybody listening? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just went with, I'm just going with it. Like this, this whole, this last show, right? I'd love for it to be as popular as black man with a gun. Um, but it will do me no good. I mean, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm thinking did I do everything I could do, did I save somebody? The Black Man with the Gun show ain't gonna be one I think about. I mean, yeah, it got nice downloads. It's um, it, it made it to you know different genres. People are like, oh, what is he talking about? But I wanted to help somebody, and what you just said, we gotta turn this thing around so that the the most important thing that we talk about is saving life and sit, mm-hmm. take care of ourselves and our families. That's way more important than what the Kardashians do and, yeah. and, and whatever sister <laughs> got a big bottom. Um, yeah. Just getting all the big bottoms and cats, man. They rule. <laughs> they rule Listen, the, sometimes I do media. watch a YouTube cat video. Sometimes I do. 
I'm going to figure it out, man. I'm going to get me a fake cat somehow. I'm going to get me a stuffed cat, and I'm going to be rolling. As soon as I figure that thing out. <laughs> I got to admit, I do watch a cat video every now and then. But I it do cleans the palate, man. Just, just, get your mind right. Y'all messed up. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. And you know what? You're right about that. But I had a, a friend of mine. He's a lawyer. And so, you know, so obviously I talk about law enforcement stuff. So he'll probably check this episode out. But when I do talk, and he told me, he's like, listen, when you talk about the, about the health stuff and the other stuff, I don't want to listen to that. And he told me that. So, oh. he's like, <laughs> See? <laughs> so I'm not gonna say his last name, but Dave, you listening, man? You gotta listen to that stuff, man. You gotta you gotta listen to the health stuff, man. You gotta we listen. Got, we to gotta it. figure out a way to make that sexy. <laughs> we got we gotta figure. We can fix that, man. We be straight. Like I'm, I'm gonna make that. That's gonna be my whole thing for this weekend. I'm, I'm gonna work on that one little problem. If I gotta get a puppet, if I gotta get a puppet cat, man, sitting there. <laughs> I'm gonna fix that thing because I, I got to save somebody, man. If it's yeah. just myself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We definitely got to do it, man. Uh, maybe I should do that too. We just get a couple of cats to just put the cat with them, or, or you know, switch it, bait and switch. Just just put a cat up there and talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> got to save somebody, man. <laughs> got to save the life, man. Whatever. It takes. <laughs> All right, brother. Man. I really, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Man. Great conversation as always. Very knowledgeable as always. I really would hope and pray that uh, people would you know, be responsible gun owners to protect themselves, protect their lives, their families, and all the other stuff, man. I, I agree with you, man. And um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Likewise, my man. Likewise. Thank you for reaching out uh, and dusting off the, the Rolodex to find me, man. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I plan to have you back on, man. So keep doing what you're doing, man. <laughs> Shoot, you made me think I could have a stand-up career again. You know, that, was, that, was, that was the that was the one time I ba I bombed real bad. I tried stand-up once. No, you did. No, you don't tell me you didn't try stand-up. Yeah, yeah. And see, what's what's bad is I, I, I can I can I can market really good, right? So I marketed myself like really really hot. So I got a gig before I even did any like basic stuff. So I was in this big fancy ballroom doing stand-up, and I had one good joke. And bombed after that. I mean, it was like really, really bad with the, you know, with the crickets at uh -huh. the end. And I thought, yeah, I needed to woodshed this thing a little bit better. I needed to do more study. It's harder than I thought. Stand up is is extremely, extremely hard, man. I mean, I've never tried it, but I can just I've I've been to people's who are trying to start out their stand up careers, you know, just to go to support them. And you know, you got to read the room and. Man, it's it's, it's hard, man. It's hard. I, I, I ain't read nothing. And you gotta, I mean, it's one thing to remember the jokes, but you gotta land your timing. Your, you gotta know your audience. Ah, man, I, I, you know, these these guys who make it, the Kevin Hart's and the, and the Dave Chappelle's and you know Jerry Seinfeld's, all these dudes, they they are geniuses at what they do, man. Yeah. You know, it's it's that's a that's a hard gig, man. So yeah, timing's bad too. I ain't, I ain't got no timing, so that does. Yeah. That, that was you another, got, another killer piece. And one thing, another thing is, um, we talked about this in a class I took about, about your ability to tell a story. Mm. Some people have a, have a natural ability to tell a story. And so you got to have those, those, not only can you have to be funny, but you have to tell a story. It's one thing to just, you know, just do what we did a couple of laughs here and there, but you got to be able to maintain that and tell a story. I couldldn't do that. So I give you a lot of credit for trying. I, I'll be up there. They'd be, they, they would run out of tomatoes if I was up there. <laughs> Get this guy off the stage. <laughs> yeah, I still got some ketchup stains on my stuff. It was, it was, it was bad, dude. It was bad. 
you know, you do something and you're like, all right, I am never doing this again. That was like one of my things. Like, all right, stand up, not not my thing. Check that off the box. Well, you, listen, you tried though, man. At least, yeah. at least, like you said, when 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 you when you're on your deathbed, you'd be like, listen, I tried, I tried, I, I gave my all. So, but I know I'm not gonna try that. <laughs> <laughs> that is not on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, my bucket list is empty. I gotta find new stuff now. All right, well, that's good, man. That's good. That's good. All right, brother, I'm going to let you go, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And if you want to find the new show, you can find it easily at kenspodcast.com. That's Ken with two N's. I made it all easy for you. Ken's yes. podcast for the new show. Okay, very good. I will put that in the show notes. Make sure that everybody gets over there. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. All right. All right. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today.